invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. We're in the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount. We saw last week that the crowds came to Jesus. When he saw them coming, he sat down on the mountain and taught. That comes as a surprise to some people that you don't normally see preachers sit down. Some do these days. If I had a chair, I might sit down. I worked with a pastor one time and said, the sermon's going to be so good this morning. He's the one preaching. The sermon's going to be so good this morning, I'm standing up for the whole thing. So in Matthew chapter 5, we see these eight Beatitudes. And the word Beatitude comes from the Latin phrase meaning to be filled with happiness. And that's really all of them start with the word blessed or blessed. So Jesus says blessed or blessed are you if this is the case. And we're going to look at three more this morning. And the word blessed means happy, fortunate, or well off. Let me ask you something. When you think about that, what does it take for you to be happy? Does it take a bank account full of money? Does it take a boat? Would a boat make you happy? It would. You want a boat? <laughs> Avery, I heard on the radio, the radio driving to work this week, the average boat owner uses their boat 20 days a year. I had a boat at one time, and it, was, it made me happy, but it didn't fill the void that only God can fill. You know the word, what the word boat stands for, right? Bring on another thousand. Two greatest days in a boat owner's life is the day they buy their boat and the day they sell their boat. Now, am I telling you don't get a boat? i got a good friend that sells boats, so yeah, go buy a boat. But don't think that's going to fill the place in your life that God only can fill. So we're looking at this first beatitude, happy, fortunate, well-off are you if this is the case. And we're going to look at three this morning. But I want you to remember, every time we see Jesus say, blessed are you, there are thousands of people listening to him preach, and most of them, if not all of them, have been taught a whole different set of values. What they were taught is not what Jesus is teaching. He's changing the price tags in the store window. So blessed are you, let's look at the first one, verse 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Some of your translations use the word meek. It could be translated meek or humble. And some of you, especially men, are saying, wait a minute. Blessed are the gentle, the meek, the humble? That's not me. There was a shirt one time, NBA basketball shirt, that said, the meek may inherit the earth, but they won't get the ball. We kind of grow up in a society where gentleness, meekness, we think, well, that's unmanly. And yet, who's the example of meekness? Jesus. Jesus was meek, gentle, humble. Last week, we looked at the ones who are poor in spirit. And that could also be translated humility or humbleness. But that word means you're humble, you're poor in spirit over your own sin. When you are meek, humble, gentle, is because of the glory of God and the holiness of God that makes you gentle. It's, it's as if the word literally means power under control. So when you hear the word gentleness, meek, or humility, I want you to think of power under control. The space station, the space shuttles, remember those used to launch every year or so? I don't think there's been a space shuttle launch in a while, but we actually saw one launch out here on the beach. No, they didn't launch it at the beach. But however many miles it is between here and Cape Canaveral, you could see the glow on the horizon. You could see the trail in the sky if you caught it at the right time of day or especially if you caught it right after it took off. But you remember the space shuttle, space shuttle Challenger that exploded? Most of the time, all but one time, it was power under control. In fact, I learned this week that the space shuttle has 12 billion watts of power. That's a lot. If you're thinking about horsepower, 16 million horsepower. So it's power. It's incredibly powerful, but it's only valuable when it's power under control, right? The Space Shuttle Challenger, I was in seminary, so this would have been in the 80s when it exploded right after takeoff. 
So when you think about blessed are the meek or blessed are those who are humble or those who are gentle, it's not wimpy. It's not meekness is not weakness. It is power under control. It's that temper and spirit in which we accept God's dealing with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. It's kind of like when your parents tell you to do something and you do it willingly without backtalk. You've got the power to backtalk. You've got the power to ignore, but you willingly place yourself under their authority. That's when good things happen. Let me give you some examples of power under control. Pride seeks its own glory. Gentleness seeks God's glory. Moses, for example. Moses killed a man. Moses demonstrated power, but it wasn't under control when he killed a man. He demanded Pharaoh allow his people to go. Power under control. He smashed the Ten Commandments when he saw the sin of the people coming off the mountain. Power not under control. And yet listen to what Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 says. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. What a testimony. Moses was very humble, more than any other man on the face of the earth. But the greatest example is Jesus. So in case you're thinking being gentle or meek is not manly, I want to to remind you, Jesus was a man. Jesus was a carpenter. Have you ever shook the hand of a carpenter? Somebody works with wood all the time. There's strength. There's muscles there. He also walked everywhere he went. So Jesus was not weak, but he was meek. In fact, Matthew chapter 11, later in this gospel, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So, guys, girls, if you're struggling with humility, gentleness, meekness, our greatest example of that is Jesus. So be like Jesus. Matthew 26, 53, Jesus says that they're coming to arrest Jesus. He's been in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. He walks out. He sees the torches and the swords coming for him. And he tells his disciples, because Peter, you know, is going to defend him, right? Jesus says in chapter 26, verse 53, Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Doing the math, that's 70,000 angels that Jesus could have called to rescue him. Why didn't he? It's because it was power under control. In the garden he had prayed, Lord, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, is there any other way to restore mankind, to forgive them, to pay the penalty for their sin? But not my will be done, your will be done. That's what we do when we're power under control. We come before God meekly and we say, God, whatever your will is, I surrender, I submit to that. So the greatest example is Jesus. But there's a reward for gentleness. Every one of these Beatitudes, there's eight of them, every one of them has a saying and then there's the reward of the saying. Look what he says. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle, blessed are the humble, for theirs is to inherit the earth. To inherit means to receive as one's own. It means to obtain your allotted portion. What does he mean by saying inherit the earth? Do we get this earth? No, there's a better earth coming. And here's what Jesus says. But those who are children of God, those who have displayed meekness and gentleness and humility, it's like reading your parents' will before they die. Jesus has already said, you will inherit the earth. Psalms 37:11. And keep in mind, for the Jews... This was a common phrase. They knew it. Psalms 37:11 says, But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. So blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. That's a promise. Now, when I read these, I don't want you to leave here saying, okay, I've got to work real hard 
become gentle and humble. You've got to surrender to God for that to happen. It's got to be God's power at work within you that brings you to that point. But keep in mind, there's a promise for each one of them. The second one is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And there's a promise that comes at the end of that. You will be satisfied. Hunger, thirst is continuous. The word he uses means continually. You're, you're continually thirsting. You're continually hungry. Both are necessary for human life. If you go very long without eating or drinking, you'll die. You can go about 40 days without food. You can only go about three days without water. And so Jesus is saying, for those who truly hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be satisfied. A starving person has an all-consuming need to eat, right? So if, you, if your kids ever said, I'm starving, you're, you know, you're driving somewhere, Mom, Dad, I'm starving. When are we going to eat? Or I'm about to thirst to death. They don't know that there are people on planet Earth that really are starving and really are thirsty. But for us spiritually, we come before God and we are hungry for the things of God. And only God can satisfy. We can't cram anything else into our life that's going to fulfill us, that's going to satisfy us like God does. And the promise is righteousness. Or the things we're pursuing is righteousness. Romans five nineteen, For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. We're only righteous in Christ, correct? So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now here's two reasons that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. First of all, salvation. You recognize your need for a Savior. You're hungry. You've tried everything else in the world to, to fill your hunger and your thirst, and you realize none of that satisfies. None of that brings really a blessing or a promise. It's very temporary and fleeting. So in salvation... We, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We hunger and thirst for salvation. You won't hunger and thirst for something you've already got, will you? I've shared Christ with people. I've had guys sit in my office. I talked to him about his relationship with the Lord, and his answer was, you know, I'm, a, I'm just a pretty good person. I don't really need anything else. I don't really need God in my life. I'm doing okay on my own. If you think that way, you're not going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You don't even realize you're hungry. You don't realize how desperate you are for a Savior. If you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's because you've come to a point of knowing, I need to be forgiven. And that's a gift from God. So salvation. You're not going to pursue something you think you already have. If you ever packed a suitcase and gotten somewhere and opened your suitcase and started looking for something you're sure you packed, that happened to me. I was leading a retreat, and I, my shaving kit that had my toothbrush, my toothpaste, my deodorant, my contact solution, my contact case, all that. I was positive I packed it until I got up in North Carolina somewhere and rolled out my suitcase and realized it isn't here. The whole time I'm driving, never crossed my mind I didn't have something. Now, my wife's exactly the opposite of that. We'll get in the car and about an hour away from home, oh, I forgot this, I forgot that. We get there, and sure enough, she packed it. I, I go the other way. So we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Eating junk food spoils your appetite for the real meal. One of the things mom never said, hey, it's dinner time, come grab a snack. <laughs> Why is it that if you're hungry for steak, if you eat a bag of Doritos, you don't want the steak anymore, right? Because you filled up on junk food. So salvation is one reason we hunger and thirst, but sanctification is the other. We are growing to be like Christ. When you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, God begins a work in your life to bring you to become more and more like Jesus. The way you do that is to hunger and thirst for righteousness, not for the things of this world. So growing up to be like Christ is sanctification, and eating helps you to grow spiritually. And there's a reward for that. 
that is, you'll be satisfied. So the reward of hungering and thirsting for righteousness is you'll be satisfied. Who is it that satisfies us? God does. God sees us hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's the overall consuming passion of our life, and he satisfies us. It literally means to supply with abundance. What, what's your favorite food? Don't, don't answer, just think. If your favorite food is steak, like my wife, we had our anniversary two weeks ago, and so I took her to Rio's because she loves steak. Have you ever been to Rio's Brazilian Steakhouse? You get all you want. I think there's about 14 different meats, whether it's lamb chops, chicken, pork, or any kind of beef you can think of, and they come by your table. You have a card on your table. If it's red, they don't stop. If it's green, here they come, and you can eat all you want. Well, have you ever eaten all you want of something and said, well, I'll never want that again? No. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. You're satisfied. You still want to hunger and thirst for righteousness because you know God satisfies those who truly hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the reward is to be satisfied. But then the signs, there's wrong pursuits. Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah 55 too. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. The prophet Isaiah is saying, why is it that your pursuit in life is for something that does not satisfy? If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. If you're hungry and thirsty for the stuff of this world, ultimately it may make you happy for a moment, but it will not fulfill you ultimately. It will not make you satisfied for eternity. So here's some signs of the right pursuit. Number one, you've become dissatisfied with self. You realize, I don't have what I need, and so I've got to go elsewhere for it. So you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You're not dependent on external things. Your hunger and thirst is not satisfied by anything other than God. You crave the Word of God. You know, you don't have to, to uh, beg a hungry man to eat or a hungry lady to eat because that is their pursuit, of their passion at that moment. When you're truly hungry, you want to eat. If you're truly hungry for righteousness and you're thirsty for righteousness, you're going to read the Word of God. You're going to study the Word of God. You're going to come to church to hear the Word of God. You're going to be a part of a small group at your church so that you can experience the Word of God. Another sign is you, de- you delight in the things of God. Dunk food doesn't satisfy. The things of your old life you found out don't, doesn't satisfy. So you come hungry and thirsting. And you don't make conditions. You remember the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler desperately more than anything else wanted eternal life, but when he heard what the price was, he walked away sad. The only man who ever left Jesus sad was the rich young ruler because he was holding on to his stuff. So don't make deals with God in the wrong pursuits. And then the last one, happy, fortunate, well-off are the merciful. The word merciful means to feel sympathy for the misery of another. It's the difference between justice and mercy. Mercy is a gift from God. Mercy is receiving something you don't deserve. If you're going 100 miles an hour in a school zone and it says 25 miles an hour speed limit, if they write you a ticket, you're not going to go to court the next week and say, I demand justice. <laughs> Why? Because justice would be to put you under the jail. Justice would be to take your license, weigh your car, your house, and everything you own. You, what do you declare? Hey, Your Honor, my foot slipped. I deserve, I, I'm asking for mercy. And that's what God gives us. He gives grace. He gives mercy. And that was not a virtue in the day of Jesus. Mercy was not something that the Jews looked at as being a virtue. In fact, just a couple of examples. A Roman philosopher said, mercy is the disease of the soul. It was the Roman custom. When a Roman child was born, the father decided thumbs up or thumbs down whether that child survived. That was the life 
that Jesus is speaking this truth into. Blessed are the merciful. The sources of mercy is not for man. You can show mercy to men. They may not show it back. They may not reciprocate the mercy. But it comes from God. It's a gift that you don't deserve. And then the practice of mercy. Just how do we show mercy? Well, one is in physical acts. If you remember, Jesus says, and he separates the sheep from the goats at the end of time, and he said, depart from me, for I never knew you. Because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was in prison, you didn't visit. When I was sick, you didn't help me be healed. When I was a stranger, you didn't welcome me in. The practice of mercy is to meet physical needs. Another part of practicing mercy is attitudes, not having a grudge. You're not showing mercy to somebody by keeping a grudge or keeping a log of everything they've ever done wrong. You don't capitalize on their weaknesses or failures. You don't publish another person's sin. You don't publicize another person's sin. Why is it sometimes we feel good about telling everybody what's wrong with everybody else? I've even seen it in church. You know, you have prayer requests. Do we have any prayer requests? Yeah. You know about Bob? What about Bob? Well, you know, Bob did so-and-so. You're celebrating sin, and that is not demonstrating mercy. Because you don't want, you want to be shown mercy by God, we have to do that by showing mercy to others. Spiritually, another, another practice of mercy is spiritually. Do you grieve over the lostness of the people around you? You'll show, pe- you'll show mercy to people that you see they're lost, they're hopeless, they're helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Luke 23, verse 34 is an example of mercy. When Jesus is being crucified on the cross, you remember what he said? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Jesus had been beaten. He had been made to carry his own cross. He fell under the weight of it. He gets there. They drove spikes in his hands and his feet. They put a crown of thorns on his head. And yet Jesus looks at them and says, Father, forgive them. That was mercy demonstrated. It was also demonstrated by, over in Acts chapter 7, verse 60, Stephen is being stoned, being put to death for being a Christian. Falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. So those are examples. Those are the practice of mercy. And then what's the reward of mercy? I love this. Blessed are the merciful. Why or what? Because they will receive mercy. As you show mercy, you receive mercy. You won't get what you deserve either. God shows mercy. What do we deserve? We deserve death. We deserve to spend eternity separated from God. So anything other than that is God's mercy. The fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin is God's mercy. The fact that we don't have to pay that penalty ourselves because we couldn't is mercy. So God's mercy. Proverbs eleven twenty five. there's a cycle of mercy. God shows mercy. We show mercy. God shows more mercy. I love this verse, 11, Proverbs eleven twenty five. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Blessed are those who show mercy, for they shall receive mercy. God's mercy doesn't just forgive our sins. It reaches all the way to the weakness of our, of our everyday life. Blessed are the merciful. Let's pray together.